Welcome to the New Missions Podcast. I'm Tim DeTellis, and on this episode, I have a conversation with lead pastor Trevor Barton from the Creek Church. They have a vision for the state of Kentucky, and this conversation not only energizes me about having a mission right where you are, but also a generous church that has seen lives changed. Let's enjoy this conversation. Well, this is going to be a highlight episode for me. I have Pastor Trevor Barton with us on the podcast today. Trevor, thanks for being with us. Well, Tim, thank you for having me, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to talk. We haven't got to see each other in a little while, so it's going to be good to hang out even if it's from afar. Absolutely. And you are coming to us today from London, Kentucky, and it's known as horse country. Uh, tell me something about Kentucky I may not know. Well, Kentucky's the bluegrass state, and um, once upon a time, we were known as the westernmost frontier for a short period of time, lying outside the uh, western borders of the colonies, and uh, we were also considered one of the sparks that led to the Second Great Awakening. There were a couple of different revivals that took place around the turn of the century in 1800 um, wow. that really served as fuel for uh, the Second Great Awakening. And other than that, bourbon and horses, uh, that's what we're known for. What a history. Now, Trevor, I know that you'd keep some things kind of quiet because you're you're what I call a confident, humble person. Uh, you have confident humility. Uh, you're one of those leaders that I admire from afar because your your team leads strong whenever I'm at your campus and, and speaking and you're gone and they're just leading it well. That takes a lot of security. Tell us how long you've been at the Creek. It's really hard for me to believe, but I have been here 16 years now. It feels like less than half of that, but 16 years as of 2021. And that journey for you at the Creek, uh, I'm actually holding a fabulous coffee mug, says the Creek Church. <laughs> I wish there was hot chocolate in there. Hey, it's getting that season. You have navigated the church in one of my passions with the New Missions podcast is helping people live life on mission right where they are and wherever they go. And I have probably watched this clip on at the Creek KY, at the Creek KY, which is your Instagram account for the church. You launched this short little clip called Give Us Kentucky. It has captivated my heart because I know your heart and it is probably one of the most passionate, authentic clips I've watched in social media world in a long, long time. It, it actually moves me emotionally right now to even think and reflect on what I have seen you say, not just because of the facts and the stats, but uh, Trevor, you guys are taking on some of the hardest problems that a region in our nation is facing. And I know you're a generous church, but you're proactive. Talk to me for a moment about Give Us Kentucky. We call it our vision and our prayer. You know, when we started out 16 years ago, multi-site, multiple churches. It wasn't really on the radar, but obviously that came to be part of our strategy. We have four churches right now and plans for others in the future, but we just consider this our home. And if we can influence our communities, but ultimately our state, that's really what we want to do. And we believe that Jesus is the answer for our greatest needs, our greatest problems. And I think that when Jesus becomes part of the equation, that everything feels the ripple effects of that. I feel like it makes almost every sector of life a little bit better because as we become salt and light in our culture, 
Uh, we're able to hold darkness at bay. We're able to hold decay at bay. And, and really, the church historically, the first century church, the second century church, the third century church really led to the demise of the Roman Empire. Although we've had our problems throughout history as the church, um, the church has been responsible for so much good. Uh, I don't know who it's original with, but but we do believe that Jesus offers us life, not only eternal life, but a better life. And we believe that as we share the gospel and the church grows and we use our influence in the lives of other people, we believe that good happens. So we just look at our state and our state, unfortunately, leads in so many unfortunate demographics. That's just part of our heart. We want to see people come to faith. And we believe that when people come to faith, things begin to change and we just hold out hope that we can make a difference by making our communities better families better, and ultimately our, our state better. Uh, so that's part of just what we're trying to do. And Kentucky, uh, Give Us Kentucky is is just that initiative. It's our prayer. It's our vision. It's our strategy. It's what we want to do. It's our biggest goal is to make a, to make a difference uh, in our own state. You mentioned how we can't stay here because some of those stats are somewhat shocking. You know, 4 million people in population. You talk about top 10 state in the nation for overdose, lowest life expectancy, top 10 in suicides. These aren't easy, really, problems to solve, but I agree 100% that a relationship with Christ changes that because your compass changes. But ultimately, for you as pastor leading your church family, you have said that this is something that not only is it a priority, but you're going to find ways to bring actually everyday solutions to people's lives. Is there something in that basket of needs that you would say maybe kind of touches close to home for you that you would like to say, hey, this is how we're helping to kind of check that off the list? You know, Kentucky has been home for me most of my life. Uh, I still have family that lives here. My closest friends obviously are here. It's hard pressed to find anyone in many circles that haven't been touched by issues like drug abuse, those issues have hit close to home. Yeah, the top in depression, highest ca- incident of cancer. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, it really is, you know, and, and my wife's a medical doctor, so she sees a lot of, of the physical manifestations of, of these problems day in and day out. But we've also seen that that when people become part of a community of faith and a common-minded group of people that are aspiring for better, and I think that that really is, I guess, in my estimation, and I could be wrong, but in my estimation, so many people have lost the ability to envision better, to dream about something better. Mm-hmm. And if you can get with like-minded people, that's some of the oldest leadership principles in the world. You know, I can remember John Maxwell years and years ago talking about the hot poker principle. You get people around sharp-minded people. You get people around like-minded people. You know, the wise, if they walk with the wise, they get wiser still. If you walk with the foolish, you become more foolish. I want to believe, and I do believe, and I have seen it, that when people get within the community of faith and they begin to understand that there's a different prism to see life through, there's a different set of principles to build your life around. And as you follow Jesus, you begin to try to put every compartment of your life in alignment with with who He is and what He said and His invitation to follow Him. Our lives do take a different trajectory. Doesn't mean, you know, we're going to be free from problems or hardship or, you know, unfortunate tragedy and all of that, but we can walk by principles of wisdom and of what Christ has taught us and what the scripture teaches us 
that does indeed affect the way that we live our lives and the decisions that we make every day that has the ability to make our lives just a little bit better, not unnecessarily more difficult. Right. I think the faith community, when someone becomes a part of that and relationships are established and a new circle of influence is realized, those things are powerful mechanisms for, for change. Absolutely. And you have a phrase that I have used because of you, which is generosity changes lives. It's simple, but it's so, so true. Talk to me for a moment about the culture of generosity. Every time I think about generosity changes lives, I think of my mentor, I think of Pastor Johnny Hunt, and I actually texted him a few months ago. When we went debt-free, we had an extremely generous weekend at our church. We had asked everybody to pray about giving generously, and we had a really grand opportunity to move forward and to be positioned in a really strong place to really make this vision of God Give Us Kentucky even more tangible, I messaged him one morning and said, hey, whatever generosity exists in my life, I saw it first in you. And I think in our church, we've just tried to model generosity first and not be ashamed to talk about it and not to tell the stories of generosity that not only encourage us, but build faith within us. You know, when we hear the stories of someone else's generosity, it's inspiring, it's moving, but also at the same time, it's a motivator to say, that's the type of life that I want to live because I've never met anyone who regretted being generous. It just became part of our culture from very early on in our London campus, where I'm at most of the time. We started at the end of a two-way road out in the middle of nowhere, little brick church, white steeple, everything that you would picture when you think of little country church. And we relocated four times before we got to this permanent facility. There were lots of special day offerings. There were many campaigns. And I never wanted those things just to feel clinical or benign. We always wanted those to be full of stories and celebration and faith. And I think in doing so, that just became part of the culture of our church. And so one of our core values is generosity changes lives. It's on the wall of all of our churches, along with our other core values. We use that phrase often. It's on our t-shirts when we baptize people as a reminder that every time you're generous, whether with your resources or your time or your prayers or your invitations, Every time you're generous, it does produce fruit, and every life that's changed is, is connected to our individual acts of generosity. And that's an important thing because sometimes we wonder, I think, internally if our generosity makes a difference and what's going to be done with my money or is there going to be good that's going to come from that. Every time that we invest in the kingdom of God, that's going to produce fruit. It's not going to be void of meaning or purpose or consequence. And so that's just become part of our culture and we've tried to model that. We've partnered with you and New Mission, believing wholeheartedly in what you're doing in Haiti churches from the West Coast to Canada and local organizations. And anytime that we can have the opportunity to invest generously in our partners or in our community locally, we've tried to take those opportunities and tell those stories. And there's an excitement to that. And I feel like there's a momentum that's created because of generosity that really does spill over into every other area of the church. Amen to that. I I thank you for leading in that way. And I'm going to talk about prayer in just a moment for you, but I want to take a sidestep to a secret skill you have. Other than being an avid, you know, fitness kind of, I would almost put you in the category of obsessed on the <laughs> fitness side. I mean, I, I'll go for my bike rides and swims, but uh, you have a regimen we probably don't have time to dive into. <laughs> probably. 
You have a secret skill of cooking. Can we talk about that for a minute? Uh, how food has become really a catalyst for you to build community? Because I, I know pastors are busy. Talk to me about why cooking and food, something that has been a secret skill for you. Jesus used the table as a way to bridge the gap with all sorts of different people, from the religious community to the irreligious community. And a lot of Jesus's controversy, at least among the religious establishment, was about who he was willing to share table fellowship with. And so the table has always been a powerful place of community and love and acceptance. And there's something different about sitting around the table with food and being able to just talk and how that opens the door to to intimacy and to deeper friendship. And, and two, you know, on the cooking side, I love to cook. I mean, I find it to be a great distraction. It's one of the few things that I can do that where my mind's just not running in five different directions. I kind of unplug uh, when it's just me and the family. We do it as an operation and a team of four. Everybody kind of does their own little deal, you know, responsibility, chop this, uh, wash that. And it's just kind of a, a place to hang out and it's a, you know, almost like a project and there's a beginning and there's a middle and there's an end and then there's an enjoyment about being finished. But I have, you know, lots of people into my house and I prefer to cook and we like to just sit around and, you know, three or four hours around a table. It's amazing what that does to a relationship and a friendship. So it's one of my favorite things. And I wouldn't even call myself an outright extrovert. I'm, I'm kind of a middle of the road. I, I can go either way. But around the table, I feel as though all of those defenses have a way of, of being chipped away over time. And it's amazing, even, you know, in the world of small group, you know, forever, we did what every other small group tried to do. We'd hang out in the kitchen. We noticed everybody would hang out in the kitchen, you know, either snack on some food or have dinner. And then it was time to actually start small group. And then everybody would go sit in the living room and it was like, everybody went quiet. And I'm like, why is everyone so talkative at the table or in the kitchen? But when it's time to actually enter into that official small group time, everybody goes quiet. So we stopped doing that. And it's amazing how just conversations have a way of drifting towards faith. I'm talking about even with unbelievers because the table is a great place to have non-believers as well. And it's amazing how those conversations just naturally go there. So we're trying to develop the strategy for our entire church instead of just a weekly small group strategy as the world has basically embraced for quite a few years. We would love for you to get around a table and have a meal that lasts about three hours with a group of people once a month. People's schedules, busyness, why not go big once a month rather than just swim in the shallows? Go deep one time a month. Everybody brings something. You can cook together or one person shares a responsibility, whatever it is, and gather around the table and let life just happen. Don't try to make it happen. Right. Just let it happen. Don't go in with an agenda. Don't go in with talking points. Ask questions of each other. Have conversations. Learn how to have conversations about difficult things in gracious ways. And let God, the Holy Spirit, do what He does and develop a deep sense of community and friendship uh, among people that perhaps you never thought you would have deep friendship with. That's tremendous. And it's powerful. And Jesus role modeled it for us. Speaking of prayer, you have a statement, if you pray big enough your prayers will outlive you. This has been something that I have seen in ministry over time that most people have a vision for their lifetime, but when somebody's praying big prayers, then that vision is going to outlast them. What is your big prayer these days for your ministry, your life, and kind of where you're going here with the creek? 
in a real practical way, God give us Kentucky is a prayer that will outlive me. You know, I'm here 16 years. I want to be thinking about the next generation of leadership within our church, about the next iteration of of what our church will be like and what it will evolve into. I, I don't have any expectation that 20 years from now, our church will be exactly the way it is today. I don't even know if I'll be living in 20 years. I'd like to think that the vision and prayer of our church right now is larger than so many of us that are present today. And I think if we pray prayers that probably are impossible for our generation, it makes us intentional about developing the next generation of leaders, which will step into that vision, adjust those prayers, and make it larger than their generation so that we make sure that we are always conscious of the future of faith and just not what's happening right in front of us in real time. So I think praying big prayers beyond our own generations helps us consciously think about succession. It helps us think about investing in younger leaders, giving them opportunities, and allowing them to have enough leniency or enough space to cut their own teeth and make some mistakes and coach them through it. So I, I think that God Give Us Kentucky is a, is bigger than my generation. I really do. I want to do all that I can to pursue it. You know, Kentucky's a big state and 4 million people. For us, it's a lot of people. Our state has a lot of rural areas, some metro, some developing areas. It's just a very, very different state geographically. There's a lot of work to be done, and I'm not sure that I'm pretty confident. I'm 100%. It's not going to be completed in my tenure. Pastor Trevor, you definitely have nailed a focus in a great way for not only your team, but also for your church. I'm just honored that you've taken the time to be with us today to really open up your heart, and it's something that we can join you in that big prayer for as you live out your mission field right where you are. And again, thank you for your continued prayers and partnership with New Missions. You have made a generational impact in Haiti with building churches and supporting our kids in the schools and what you've done. And most importantly, I th- thanks for being a role model dad uh, and husband. Uh, you you show that well. People can put the highlight reel out there, but but I know for you in your heart of hearts, that's really where the game starts and ends. So thank you. And I'm really, really thrilled for the time today. Well, I appreciate that. And, and you know, thank you, Tim. I mean, seriously, for all that you're doing and your leadership and your ministry that gives an opportunity for local churches and individuals. It gives them an opportunity to make a really tangible difference in, in the world. And, and that's a big deal. A lot of folks want to make a difference. I, I really do believe that. Sometimes they just don't know where to turn. So I, I'm really grateful that you have incredible ministry and new mission and the model and how generational that model is and the difference that it has made, is making, will make. It's one of the special things that I know I've experienced firsthand in my own life. So I would probably be very out of place if I didn't say thank you for giving us an opportunity to share in the work that your family has been doing there for quite some time. Well, it's a joy and honor. And I look forward to seeing you soon. I tasted some of your food at your house and can't wait to nibble on something <laughs> something special soon. I'll see what I can do. Okay. Thanks, Pastor. Thank you. Pastor Trevor reminds me that your mission field, it begins right where you are. I hope and pray that you have a vision for the city where you live, the state that you call home. And let's make where we live better because our mission field starts right at home. Join us right now with new missions as we kick off our shoebox drive at shoeboxdrive.com. That's shoeboxdrive.com. 
www.thelifeofachild.com and together let's bless the life of a child and their family.